This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. You know, we've spent about £6 million building this so far at this point. So a member of Department for Education was with me and I took him into one school and they went to this girl in the corner of the room and we'd been told by the teacher that this girl has slight social issues at school. So she struggles. And she said, you know, what do you think about using this technology in your school? And the little girl turned around and said, you know, it's the first time in my life where I don't feel stupid. And I just thought that was worth £6 million. You're listening to Women Tech Charge from The Evening Standard with me, Anne-Marie Maffedon. What happens when you mix education and artificial intelligence? Can technology ensure pupils are reaching their full potential? In this episode, I'm talking to a woman who's done exactly that. She's also given millions of meals to homeless people in India. Settle in, this is a good one. Uh, to be honest, they all are, so make sure you're subscribed. I'm sat here in the wild, wild west of London, joined by a woman who is innovating and helping the laggards in our education <laughs> <Dear>. system. <laughs> And bringing them into the future. Her company, Century Tech, combines the best of our favourite buzzwords, AI, big data, data mining, to ensure that children reach their full potential. Say hello to Priya Lakhani, OBE, CEO of Century Tech. <laughs> if only I could be introduced this way every morning. <laughs> you can have this one for free. That would be great. That. Thank you. So I did a little bit of the intro there, Priya. Yep. What's the official elevator pitch? Century is the platform that learns how every brain learns. And by learning how every brain learns, it can provide a completely individualised, differentiated path for every individual across any subject, any curriculum, any age group. And by doing that, it can help to improve outcomes. It also takes all of that data 
that it learns about an individual child, let's say, in school, and it provides it on instant dashboards to teachers. So if we think about education and where the real problems are on the front line, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got a teacher standing up in front of a classroom of 30 children. Mm -hmm. And Anne-Marie, as you and I both know... Behaviour managing. Behaviour managing is often an issue. But even when you get past that, Mm. what does every teacher actually want to do? What do they dream of doing when they sign up to teach? They want to differentiate for every child. They want to intervene Mm -hmm. when necessary. Every child deserves a completely personalised education because mm-hmm. how we learn is as unique as our fingerprints. They want to, and em- so, they want to empower and inspire yeah, as well, right? Ex- exactly, and that's what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. But isn't it fascinating how 60%, that's 60% of a teacher's time is spent on admin, micro-marking, micro-assessing, you know, trying to figure out what child needs what, marking homework, marking tests. Then they suddenly have to become data analysts because they have to figure out where all the gaps in knowledge are and how to plug those gaps. The median, the average so, and the rest of it, yeah. Yeah, so Century's purpose is really to... Have a, so it's a learning platform where any child can go on and it uses artificial intelligence, say machine learning, natural language processing to learn how they learn. It provides the child with a completely differentiated, personalised journey. It's constantly adapting. It learns their knowledge, their skills, gaps in knowledge and skills, focus levels, effort levels, memory function, etc. Very, very long elevator pitch. It is a long elevator yeah. pitch, but it's worthwhile saying because it's a complex product. <laughs> <laughs> and then it takes all of that data, but it provides its teachers so that micro-marking and micro-assessing disappears. And the reason I talk about it so much and I'm so passionate about it is because... Mm. How is it so that this doesn't already exist? So we know that every sector in the world has been transformed by technology. Mm. And how has it been transformed? Well, it's more efficient. You know, we know how to search. We know how to shop. We can find our accommodation very, very quickly. We know how to invest and, you know, where to save our money. And yes, so it's about efficiency, but it's also about making better decisions. Mm. And we know that data in the right hands can be very powerful. So teachers should have the data and they should collect that data. They should have constant formative assessments. So we should have children, you know, being asked questions regularly to be able to test not just their knowledge, but their depth of knowledge and the skill sets that they can apply on top of that knowledge. But the problem is, is that collecting all of that data, then gathering it, then analysing it is incredibly time consuming. Mm. But once you've got it and you've analysed it, it's super powerful. So the question for me was very much, you know, can a machine do that and automate the unnecessary workload burden on teachers that they currently do manually? But then can it do the really important part, which is analyse the data and put that in a teacher's hands? So what I always say is, look, when we look at a classroom, the most important person in the classroom is a child. Yep. But the most, Im- the, the most powerful person in the classroom is the teacher. So so that's, what, that's who we need to empower with that analysis. And, mm. you know, we now have teachers all over the world um, that use, that, that, you know, that I have experience of that use Century, where they make timely targeted interventions as and when necessary. And we've got parents... Like, a, like kind of just pings and it's like, you know, it tell, tap, tap Bob on the shoulder. You can log in yeah. right now and in under five minutes, uh-huh. the machine will tell me if I was your teacher or if I was your parent or guardian, because I would have a portal too as your parent or guardian, it would tell me exactly where you need to focus in maths, chemistry, physics, English, whatever, whatever age group, whatever course, instantly. So then I can I can support you with the learning. And if I do nothing, and let's assume I leave you on your own, uh-huh. it will learn why you don't understand something, not just if you're struggling. So if you're struggling in, in physics, it might learn that's because you're struggling to calculate equations in maths. So does that and mean it will give you that doing, content. Does that mean you're doing everything on the computer then? So we, we, we see students spending about an hour to two hours a week on Century. Right. Um, and it's augmentative because, I mean, we had this discussion offline just earlier, but 
you know, can the machine do everything? The answer is no. It augments teaching, but it just cannot replace teachers. You're never going to be able to replace that one-to-one interaction that you know, a child has with a teacher, and I don't expect it to do so. The connection, yeah, we've not quite yeah. got the technology yet, have Yeah, we? no, and, and, and you know, in a sense, well, why would we want to drive it in that sort of a way? Because yeah. we've got to remember what makes us human, mm-hmm. what makes us special about being human, the empathy, mm. you know, that we can show, with the, the pastoral care that a teacher provides to a child, mm. right? Sort of super teachers, you know, that that those nuances in the curriculum that actually are very, very difficult to, to you know, to be able to code yep. and codify. But, so we don't want to replace that. But how can we use technology to to solve big problems? And I think, you know, that's that's the key here. And that's why I found a century. I wasn't a techie. I'm not a techie. I've got, I know now that my you're CV not, you're not says. not a techie, she says. Well, I'm not. But, I, you know, I've got a couple of now nano degrees in, in AI and neuroscience. And that sounds really bizarre, but it's not. Because all of these, this education is available, a lot mm. of it online. Exactly. A lot of it for free. And so I it upskilled myself. And actually... People are really afraid of that. And whenever mm. I talk to them, I think, well, hang on a second. You love learning. We all love learning. We are born to learn. You know, we're always, we're on our phones. We're searching quicker. We're trying to find answers. We're using resources available to us. And I came at this problem. And this is where I think there's a huge opportunity for everyone to get involved in technology. And it's, mm. not, it's not scary. If you come at it from a problem-oriented approach. And so, you know, coming at particular issues and thinking well how do I ensure that I'm working beyond the betterment of myself Mm -hmm. how can I change the world for the better Mm. is there a way in which we can use certain technologies to actually apply those to these particular problems I think that's really really important I'm just going to state a fact here because um you know I don't like to generalize but statistically there are more social impact startups and scale-ups led by women than there are by men and so we have this huge disparity in terms of STEM education, and we talk about this a lot. And it is a real, fun, it is a real STEM, problem. STEM for those who don't know, which is why you need to go to STEM S. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sorry, mm-hmm. science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge gap in the market. There's a huge, you know, there's just a, a big hole when it comes to women, which we need for so many reasons. There's, there's a hole in the industry. Is, which which frustrates me, and and it's the same thing you're saying, which is there's a hole in education as well, though, right? There's a how hole many in, girls in the education, take up a STEM degree, but how many people that don't have a STEM degree are also working in the industry, right? So it's one of those things where it's nice to have people have that training when they're yeah. younger, and I benefited from it, and you know I wouldn't change it for anything. But also, it's about everyone realizing that behind the Bitcoin or behind insert name of insert buzzword here, it is about solving problems and primarily about solving problems, and we need yeah. that almost as much as we need the technology itself, right? It's really important to be able to to talk about the altruism yeah. and connect the two because otherwise the technology means nothing. So the example I always love is I did maths and computer science at university. Uh, numbers was a big thing, I guess, as you, you'd assume, kind of on a maths degree course. Um, and number theory was a big part. And we did so much on kind of the history of prime numbers and the fact that this was 300 years ago that the Chinese were, you know, working through these prime numbers and working out the principles of them and how you mine, how you find them, how you mine them. And I remember being sitting there and thinking, you know, how crazy that was 300 years ago. None yeah. of those people that worked on that have any idea that that's literally what underpins all of our security and so many of the algorithms that we use today to make credit card transactions to have the world go round. It's based off them toying with with prime numbers but how frustrating that it's 300 years later <laughs> yeah and exactly and these things do take time but also you know related to that but 
on the sort of whole, you know, if we look at um, all of these big sort of buzzword industries mm. and look at how it applies to everybody, you know, every company is a technology company, I would argue now, Ultimately. every single one. Yep. And when we've got people, and we, you know, you made the really valid point about the fact that you don't have to have had that maths or computer science background. Mm. What's really interesting and what I find now is I always say to marketeers, for example, do you know that if you don't understand data, you're not going to get a great marketeering job? Because mm. actually now we want marketeers, but we mm. want marketeers who understand ROI, return on mm. investment. We mm -hmm. need marketeers who understand data analysis. Exactly. So this is becoming really part and parcel of the skill of set. Work. Yeah, yeah. Of the general skill set that is mm. required of everybody. And so we do have this lack of females in technology in the sector and those that potentially, you know, I'm not saying that everyone needs to be a techie at all. No, no. not at all, because we need everything around that. You've got the people that code, you've got the people that understand logic in a sense. And I rather talk about that because I think. You know, languages change, mm -hmm. coding languages change. Mm -hmm. It's that ability to problem solve. Yep. It's that ability to, um, you know, use logic. It's about the ability to essentially apply a language to solve problems. Mm -hmm. It's about problem solving. But, you know, it applies in every single part of every sector and every sort of job set will require it. And so we, we really need people to think, well, how can I use this or how can I learn about it? And what would be really, really great is obviously if we had people you know thinking well how, I want to do something about it in a sense taking ownership of their own education in that sense because there are no fundamental changes to the curriculum that really allow I think our children to understand what sort of skills they're going to need in the future I mean I think our education system to date is really not fit for purpose there are no or they're, they're very little or, um, uh, or it's impossible to because that my thing is so computer science in particular is one where the technology industry is moving so quickly that's trying to set a curriculum that doesn't become obsolete very quickly is nigh on impossible yeah, if you wanted, if you want to set a, a curriculum, but the problem is, is that if there's an emphasis mm. in a curriculum mm. on teaching to a specific test at the end of the year, yeah. right, which is, which is where we've ended up being, which is exactly, then you have, you know, a real mismatch between what you know, essentially schools are having to do mm. because they, you know, they're, they're, they're measured Lead that way. tables if you, and if, everything, if yeah. You think, yeah, I mean, if we look at anything in any industry, not just schools, if mm. we measure people a certain way, mm. their behaviour will be driven towards achieving what exactly. they're measured by. Yep, yep. And so it's really not about necessarily changing the curriculum or a specific part of the curriculum because actually my view is that it is what it is. It doesn't really matter too much what it is because I trust teachers. We all want the child... Um, to do, to do well, there are 8.2 million. Yeah, there yeah. are 8.2 million pupils in this country. And what yep. started me doing this was when I heard that 1.8 million of them were underperforming a few years ago, and mm -hmm. I thought that's 20%. So, how do we also do this and not at the expense of outcomes? So it's mm. coming at that problem-oriented approach now. You know, this is the problem. How do we fix it? And so, for me, it was very much, well, what tools are there out there? You know, to, to help. And um, when I was sitting on um, Vince Cable's advisory board when he was Secretary of State of Business, Innovation and Skills during the coalition government, this is what I was hearing. Mm -hmm. And at the time, as, as you know, I was running a food company. Yeah, how do you even end up on that in that room running with <laughs> Masala Masala behind you? Um, so I was a barrister for a few years yes. and loved it and actually used to work for the press and it was great fun. Um, but my, I, I spent my entire childhood, you know, with summers and winters in East Africa and I just never really, I never got off the plane back into the UK and forgot about the poverty. Okay. I thought it was so unjust. And when I was very young, I just decided that the burden rested squarely on my six-year-old shoulders to change the world. 
and give every child equal opportunity when it came to nutrition, healthcare, and education. I felt and the so, same way when I was six. Yeah, 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 there we go. So we've got lots in common. And so, um, <laughs> and so I was, you know, I spent my whole childhood basically raising money for charities. And my parents used to just think it was really bizarre. So it was all I wanted to do. And then um, I thought that the most just career to obviously go into would then be law because yep. if we're thinking about equity and, and justice defending, you exactly. think law yep. right and so I thought actually my, my main job is I actually wanted to go into the press and make editorial and investigative journalism fair and more positive because I used to read the papers a lot when I was a kid I was quite interested in current affairs and I used to think I wonder how we could create a bit of balance etc and how I could help and then doing that for a few years still I loved it and you know if I ever retire I'd do that for free I really did enjoy it but I didn't feel like I was moving the dial as much as I thought okay, I did. Right. And so I sort of noticed that actually, you know, it's very much up to the editors and it depends on which papers you're working in, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd come up with this idea. There was a gap in the market in food for fresh ethnic sources. And I thought I'll solve the problem. I'll start my own company. Sort of a long story about that. But um, I started Masala Masala. And in one, but with Masala Masala, it was my big opportunity to try and change the world. So I know it sounds bizarre. I'm selling curry sauces. But for every pot of sauce that I sold, I fed a homeless person a hot meal. We provided the pentavalent five-in-one vaccine to children in Africa. And we started building schools. One year in, after a million meals served, about nine schools funded, and about 35,000 vaccines provided, that got on the radar of government. And then Vince Cable asked me to be on his um, advisory board as a social entrepreneur as a social entrepreneur yep. well sort of yeah sort of a, it was really actually with business innovation skills I think it was more the startup scale up entrepreneur it okay. was very much about the business side but what was fascinating about the way the government was structured at that point and I think it still works this way is that business innovation and skills now it's Bayes obviously mm-hmm, so you've got mm-hmm. the energy part of it but um, they were they were interested in skills because obviously that affects the economy. If we haven't got people in the workforce in certain jobs and creating jobs, it affects GDP, et cetera, et cetera. So they were fascinated about skills. There's one board meeting. Um, we had Matthew Hancock, who is now our Secretary of State for Health, in yeah. the room. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of time for that man because I have to understand, you know, having spent a lot of time with people in government and talking to them, he really does understand technology. He understands how disruptive it is, how disruptive it can be. And he came into the room and started the conversation about, look, why aren't we solving these problems using technology? And I thought, well, why aren't we? And so I went away and did some research. And interestingly, Vince Cable was also a huge advocate of we need to help solve this. You know, we now had two people who, you know, it wasn't really their direct job, but they were thinking, because we were in a biz meeting, Mm -hmm. you know, it seemed like education was very much Department for Education's, you know, remit. Not business. No, exactly. But they were thinking, well, actually, no, it's a hybrid approach. It was really interesting. It was a very interesting time. And they said, how can we help? And so when I said, well, look, I want to go and do some research, Vince Cable supported me. He said, you know, know, what do you need? And I said, well, I'd like one of your special advisors to help me with some research. He did do that. I went away. I went to schools all over the country, the best performing schools in the country, some of the schools that were you know, slightly more challenged in terms of their performance. And I saw the same problems. It didn't matter which school I was in. In every school, there is a bell curve. Mm-hmm. There are children that are struggling and left behind in every classroom. Mm-hmm. There are children who are under-challenged and need a bit more stretch. And every teacher in any given moment in the classroom is faced with that problem. Yep. And when you're looking at it, you're thinking, well, what's the teacher going to do? Mm. And what's really interesting is they deliver a one-size-fits-all delivery, sort of, you know, educate. That's what they do. Yeah. They deliver the lecture. That's how the system works. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And and they're forced to do it. And then mm. and then what I was really ashamed of, really ashamed of, was that in the summer, because I spent quite a lot of time researching this, we went through the summer holidays. At this point, I have a two-year-old child, you know, I was pregnant with my son. 
So I was also very interested in education from a from a parental a maternal aspect. Mm -hmm. But I then looked at the media and when schools didn't quite perform how they expected to or a child didn't perform how the parent expected them to, what I saw was that some schools were dragged through the mud. You know, they didn't perform. This was what's wrong with the school, et cetera, et cetera, and particularly in local media. And and I looked at that and thought, I have now met hundreds of teachers and I have never met a teacher who came to teach badly. Right, okay. Because they don't do it for the money. Yeah. That's the interesting thing about the profession. Mm. And they're not respected at all. They yeah. constantly have to battle with a lot of problems. And I saw these problems. I thought, well, we need to solve these problems. Mm. And we need to solve it for the children and for the teachers. And for so, ourselves. Yeah, for and us, so, yeah. you know, how do you do that? Well, you start thinking, well... What does exist and what was very striking was that in every classroom I, I saw that in terms of technology we'd gone from a blackboard to a whiteboard and that was about it. But you know at the same time I'm pulling out my smartphone and I'm able to order a taxi online. Um, I'm able to you know book accommodation, I'm able to search really fast but there was no artificial intelligence and neuroscience platform in education. There were several reasons why not. I know one is the very you know it's the typical argument you hear where you say well schools are risk averse they take a long time to adopt technology. They do, but their stakeholder is really important. You know, they're not just concerned about revenue like most companies. They they have to look after children. Other so performance, so, yep. I, so I can understand that mm -hmm. and I appreciate that. But also, we mustn't forget that in order to build an artificially intelligent platform that uses neuroscience in the way that we've done, costs millions and millions of pounds. Mm -hmm. So investors have to think, where do I want... You know, that requires investment. And so one of the other problems is investors look at it and think, well, would I rather put my money in a fintech company which might sell for X amount of pounds and, you know, I might get eight to 20 times my money in three years or would I rather invest in building an ed tech company where I have to be incredibly patient? And so what happens is there's a gap there as well. So all of these issues result in why the sector has been very late to be able to adopt technology. But what I must say right now is that I've been doing it for five years and it is growing we are growing at such it a is, fast pace. Say, yeah. So I think now... We said fintech, I was going to, you know, yeah. fintech meaning financial technology company. Sorry, I'm using all the lingo here, which is technology. terrible. Um, <laughs> but no, I was going to say, edtech is, it has become, or is becoming its thing. Like there's there's quite a lot of, there's edtech podcasts, edtech festivals, there's, you know, Bet yep. has been there since before edtech. Bet's been there um, a long time. Yeah, and Bet, I remember <laughs> when Bet was Bekta, and Bet is like this kind of big edtech gosh all the letters uh, yeah. this big edtech um event that happens in january in yeah. london and then they do the education show in birmingham normally in march time they do well, there's a lot i mean yeah, yeah. there's them there's um, Casey fry it's this amazing lady who's created her own i do learn it yeah learn yeah, it no, Casey, so learn yeah. it is coming up now which is a new one and she's very teacher focused and educator yes. focused which is quite nice actually because she's really taking it from the angle about what do they care about yeah. um but there's quite a lot um, it is an industry in itself. There's mm. no doubt about that. But what I'm now seeing is the adoptions happening. So that curve that we mentioned in the beginning where mm. we said, you know, there's an adoption curve to technology. There's an adoption curve to anything new. Mm. And we have the innovators and the pioneers at the beginning. Then we have sort of the early adopters. And then, you know, what, what we call sort of the laggards at the end. And the innovators and the pioneers have already adopted Century. So I've seen that globally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're in many countries and mm. they've taken it on. They've tested it. For the last few years, they've got improvement of outcomes of over 30, about 30% 30 across the board. Mm -hmm. What I really love about it is not just that. That sounds like a really great stat, but it's not that for me. It's the fact that economically disadvantaged children perform just as well as their peers on Century. Wow. Why is that? Because artificial intelligence doesn't, doesn't care just, yeah. where you're from. Yeah. It will figure out a way. Good AI doesn't. Good does, AI doesn't. doesn't. Yes. Yeah. And also, you know, with a diverse tech team where we've got mm. women, mm. Co female data scientists, female engineers, you also 
you know, you can try and ensure that you haven't got that algorithm bias that is mm. a big issue that and, people talk about. And data about. bias as well across exactly. schools that you're working with. Yeah, yeah, and so, and you know, having co-founded the Institute of Ethical AI, AI for Education with Sir Anthony Selden and Professor Rose Luckin from the Institute of Education at UCL, you know, we're, we're really looking into how do you build and scale this technology in, a, in an ethical way mm. that always ensures it's AI for good. And I think that if listeners could think about these problems that they come across, well, it doesn't have to be in education, it can be anywhere, and think, how could we also apply new tools and technology in an ethical way to make, so, you know, to, that would just be such a wonderful thing. Mm. And I think that it's often the non-traditional techies that can come up with these ideas because they're looking at things from a very open point of view. Yeah, you almost need to be the outsider, right? There's, there's a lot yeah. of things that kind of are less obvious for you if, you if it's not something you've grown up with or you've trained in. If you're not classically trained, is the thing I always like to say, then it means yeah. that you're, you're looking at it Well, from you're also a, in the field, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the fact is I wasn't completely new to education because when I was a barrister, I taught for two years. Uh, I taught postgraduate students in the evening. I taught mm -hmm. media law. Mm -hmm. um, and so I knew in a sense, you know, what does teaching involve, mm -hmm. right? You know, how, how marking, assessing all these things, mm -hmm. you know, and it's really interesting how people still think that to be a teacher is great because you have really so long summer holidays and you leave at 3.30. <laughs> and I just think that is not true at all. My teachers... To talk to a teacher. Yeah, and my teachers will happily tell you their or workload. Waterloo Road. Yeah, exactly. But what's really fascinating is that, you know, at Century as well, we save workload by a day a week. And so if you can imagine giving every teacher a day back and what's you know, what I cannot get over is the fact that we, in fact, um, there's a publication out there that surveyed a lot of our teachers that wrote an article on this. And they said, we surveyed the teachers and what do they do with their day a week? Not one of them said, Take I go to off. the pub. <laughs> like, you know, Missing I get home early. No, they spend more time on targeted, timely interventions with children and pastoral care. Mm -hmm. And so what's really fascinating about the sector is that we have this workforce of incredible people who really, really want to change their world, change the world in their own way. Mm -hmm. And we need to help them. You know, we need to ensure, we need to empower them. We need to ensure, and they're helping, you know, at the end of the day, they're looking after our children. Mm -hmm. These are the guardians of our children mm -hmm. when we're out, when we're at work. Um, and so we really need to treat them with the most amount of respect. And so, and there is a really great way to do this, which I am going to say, because I think it's really important, but any listeners who are parents, nominate your teacher to the teaching awards, there's yep. something called the Thank a Teacher campaign. Can you believe, and I have to just um, slight wave here and you know, in terms of bias, I am on their board, right? But the thing is, can you imagine that if you nominate a teacher for Thank a Teacher, it's a Thank a Teacher campaign, they actually write a handwritten card to your teacher what, and send what it is to a, What is a handwritten card? I've not heard on one of those before. I know, it's not... Anne-Marie, let's go back a little bit, maybe, <laughs> about <laughs> two decades. Do you remember when people used to write? <laughs> you know the no, pen? had a pen, right, Ink. okay. Oh, yeah, I see. There right. are machines that do do this as well, I, so I've you might be aware of, of those. So of this time you use your fingers, <laughs> and you know those fine motor skills yeah. in your hand? Completely really lost important them. Really important skills. I'm at a keyboard all the time. This is one of the reasons why also I, de I have to be, again, very honest and say that when Century goes into schools, we do say, look, you know, of course, we've got kids on it for six, eight hours a week sometimes, and they get quite obsessive over it, particularly some children with special needs mm. love getting on the platform. But we say, look, at an hour a week, two hours a week is absolutely maximum. In primary, we have, you know, within 20, 30 minutes a week on this system, mm. the platform will learn everything about the child in terms of how they learn and then give that data, That's very which is amazing. Yeah. But we say, look, don't 
use it all the time. Mm. And it's not necessarily the screen time debate I'm getting into here. It's the fine major skills debate. Mm. So with primary age children, we don't want them to constantly be tacking, tapping screens all day because mm. those muscles in between the thumb and the forefinger are actually really, really important. Four. And <laughs> four. <laughs> you know that thing that you don't like to do? <laughs> which is, well, it's not just writing, I've, picking. I've heard people say this, though. So... Because when I was little, you, we used to have. Um, I was gutted because my handwriting is Can still Can we take a picture now. of her right now? By the way, she's got a pen in her hand. I have a pen in my hand. She's got a pen in her hand really right used, now. But I haven't used it. I had, it's like <laughs> the comfort. It's it's to practice these two muscles you said were really important. But we had like handwriting licenses that we had to do, and I was like the last person to get it. In that's mind. okay. What, but it's yeah. really funny because now, so there. Are, I've spoken to people who have been like, you know, kids. Well, that's not a future skill. Yeah. Well, it, well it, there write. is a country that's taken out taking out handwriting yeah. at the quickly. But what we we'll do is. When, but well, then you've got to think like, will we evolve then? Let's we'll end get up a, with like a webbed hand or something. Do you think that's going to be like a thing that will change? I don't know. I'm going to get a box of Cheerios and drop them on the floor and then see, see if you can pick them up faster. No, no, that's that, that's that game. <laughs> I'll pick them up. You know that game then, where you have to do it with no hands. Do you know what you'll do though? I know what she'll do. She will go, Amory. You will go and get robot. that robot vacuum cleaner and just say, go and pick it up. Yeah, <laughs> we'll so, that. definitely. Then we yeah. Or I play as a game. Surgeons. Like a what hen- about surgeons? Like a game. What about do, you, do you want every no. robot doing surgery? No, no, because I know robots so, do surgery, yeah. but do you want every surgeon doing surgery properly, or do you want surgeons to have? I'm just saying that the muscle's important. Did you know they did surgery on a grape? <laughs> That's like a meme, by the way. Yeah, sorry, I had to put that in there. Um, but that and that wasn't a human being. That was a robot that did it. My yeah. professor, coincidentally, he's like a robotics person yeah. um, from my university, and we were talking about the fact that. The ethics in that is still we're still nowhere near working out what whether that should be something we allow robots to do because because there are certain parts of surgery so like stitches at the end that are quite re- repetitive movements yeah um so you could, probably could give a bot that to do yeah. but then you have to then work out all the legalities of it all have got in the way of that technology yeah. allowed to be being uh, widespread so every every year I do something really exciting and I go to Silicon Valley and I see what's going on behind the scenes there um just to know that. I know it's not globally, it's just the West, <laughs> you know, it's here and there, but I can sort of see advances in technology. And I was speaking to some incredible disruptors, um, you know, and, and they're surgeons who then created tech companies. And, you know, they sort of say, well, look, the thing is, nobody is, just like how we learn is unique, nobody is exactly the same. Yeah. And so to be able to program some things, sometimes deal with the nuances and, and you know, what, what you might be faced with in actually yeah. a very high pressure situation. Yeah, it's tough. It's really challenging. Yeah. And so I think there are some areas where stitches they can we help talking about specifically. yeah stitches yeah. that that could be a real issue i think yeah. and there are some areas where you know robotics are already being used mm. that could be great but i think this is again you know this is where people can have a say about these things they can mm. have a debate about these things they can think about you know when we've got something that's when we're training artificial intelligence you know who's training it who's actually holding the reins behind that and with ethics that's really important mm. as well like who's mm. who's who's chosen those training sets of data Who's trained them? Who's weighted the algorithms one way or another? Mm. You can talk about it with surgery and stitches. You can talk about it with driverless cars. Yeah. You can talk about it with education technology. Yeah. And, you know, it's in, it's in, I think people, once they're starting to talk about and question these things and learn about them, that will be a really great day when everyone understands how to debate these issues. I, because, I, I can't wait for that day. Yeah. I think So for me, and you're, you'll be the same, there's so many of these boards, so many of these committees, so many of these kind of closed door situations going on where we're deciding policies and we're kind of influencing Um, and I'm not an evil person if I was an evil genius then you know god forbid but I think there's so much where if you look at something like I say this all the time look at something like immigration everyone has an opinion on immigration we're not all immigration lawyers but it is something that you can kind of 
prop up and have a conversation about. And I'd love, I can't wait for the day where even just the use of AI just in our public systems would yeah. be something that people come out and say, you know, actually, I'm making an informed decision to say I'd rather yeah. not have that make and, it And all. don't you think that once we have that, there'll just be so much more transparency because it's demanded. So, yeah. you know, a revolution always happens essentially when consumers demand yeah. a certain change. Yeah. They just, you know, they demand things a certain or way. Or when uh, the EU decide to do GDPR. But, yeah. <laughs> but how can you demand a certain thing yeah. unless you know about it? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What has been the hardest bit of your transition of going from... I'm going to call you a techie, from non-techie entrepreneur <laughs> to techie entrepreneur. That's interesting because that's or sort of... Or non-techie to techie. Yeah, that's interesting because that's sort of a question from the bridge between when I ran a company, but it was um, fast-moving consumer goods, mm. FMCG, mm. to tech. Um, the transition, that's a really good question. I mean, culturally, it's a little bit different. Okay. You know, having a large engineering team mm -hmm. and uh, learning that actually I think sometimes the team looks at the market as a whole and looks at those lovely stories, you know, from Facebook mm -hmm. about free lunches and unlimited holidays and sort of think, well, where are our free lunches and our unlimited holidays? And and um, and actually the transitions not where, wasn't... Where are they? Yeah, where are they? Well, let, let me tell you something now. There is no <laughs> such thing as a free lunch, anne <laughs> And uh, if you haven't heard that one before... <laughs> And uh, unlimited holidays are not what they seem. On average, in the USA, no one takes them. yeah, but on that's average, they don't in, take holidays anyway. On average, in the USA, um, they actually take less holidays when you give them unlimited holidays because people feel bad about taking them. But so, here we take them. We here, Brits love a good holiday. I've got a friend who um, yeah. just transferred to the New York office of her company. Do they give her ten days instead and they, of twenty-five? They gave her ten days, but she takes the ten days. Yeah, everyone in the office is like, what? What are you? Why are you always That's out? Nuts. And she's like, we have ten days of holiday, which is also which is crazy, right? Because we give so a century, we give twenty five plus three over Christmas in the year plus yeah. your birthday, yeah. Um, and so that's quite nice. Um, but no, I think the transition was more actually my mindset of being a lawyer, uh -huh. yeah, to anything in business, uh -huh. because my mindset of being a lawyer is look. You know, there is a very traditional way in which lawyers are trained. Mm. It's the same for sort of lawyers, bankers, consultants. There's this sort of, 
you know, get in early, leave really late. If you leave early, you might get fun. services. It's just vibes. yeah, you just it's a vibe and the mm. culture, which isn't a great one. And you know, we know that actually we're not very productive when mm. we do that. Mm-hmm. But it's a mindset, mm. and it's this looking like you're working really hard. And mm. obviously, I'm telling you right now that I did work really hard. There wasn't a second where I wasn't exactly. <laughs> but the point is, you know, then I moved into this tech um, industry. And I ran my first company very much like a little bit like when I was a lawyer because it's an industry that can cope with that. In tech, it's very different. You know, we sort of have people rolling in at 10.30 in the morning. But what's really interesting is that they're the ones who are coding at night or on the weekends. And it was developing that culture and understanding culture. So I did a lot of work on culture. I did a bunch of courses on culture. Personally. Personally. I did them myself. Yeah. Um, and many. Mm. I've read lots of books on it. I've spoken to a lot of founders about it. I've been out to different companies here and in the US and in the East and talk, and learned about culture. I've done all the personality sort of, um, not personality, but behavioral profiling tests. I've actually become trained on how to do them myself and wow, deliver them. you went in. When I, this is a problem with me. When I go in, I go in yeah. 100%. It's yeah. all or nothing. Mm. I don't like sort of kind of knowing something. Yeah, I like to master it, it or not. Yeah. And so I'd rather just not, because then I can't talk about it. I'm just like, why would I do that? Mm. And so actually I've gone into other companies and trained them on culture and building a really important culture. And it is really important. And if you have a culture that's misaligned with your strategy, it's a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. And so learning a new culture for tech and being a techie versus the old traditional professional services culture was a real transition and a learning curve um and i think we've done really well at century i mean i think everyone's so good yeah the sort of only way i can put it is that everyone we've sort of wanted to keep is there (laughs) (laughs) it's not really bad um but but the thing is that you know uh, the only people who've otherwise left have moved country interestingly and that's not because they want to get really far away from us that's because they genuinely wanted to move country um yeah exactly and uh but I think it's a very happy place to work. We have, I'm not, I'm not allowed to swear here, I'm sure, but we have a no asshole rule yeah. on everyone's contract. It's on the front of their contract. It's, um, um, have the swear word in their contracts. Yeah, of course. Okay. It's serious. Yeah. I, I mean it. Cover your and, ears. Uh, Spoiler alert. Cover your ears if you don't hear it. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was too late, Amory. <laughs> a robot would have done that quicker. It would have been able to see. We'll put it on edit. They won't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we have a no arsehole rule at work. We have um, in part, on your contract, it says always do the right thing and try and do it kindly. Yeah. You know, and so, and we take that really, really seriously. And because we've asked people to leave because they've breached that before, mm. it's taken very seriously at centuries. So you administer it. Who's another person you'd say you admire? Slash, who are your mentors, I guess? I'm guessing you admire your mentors. I mean, let me know if you don't. You can see my face is cringing because I'm going to give you an answer that you're probably not quite used to. Okay, so who do I Is it your mum? Are you going to say your mum? I love my mum. She's my yeah. best friend. Okay, cool. When I married my husband, he, was, he just said to me, I know I'm number two. And I was like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, you are. I love you to bits, but knows. you are number two. Um, but then I also like some singers. Like I, I, you know, do you know the song um, from, is it Mika or Micah? And it's... Um, Mika. Mika. And the, it's, you know the song from Mika? And he goes really high-pitched. And it's Grace Kelly. Right. What's really interesting about how he wrote that song and why he wrote it, he was being rejected by absolutely everybody. And they were saying, you know, you're not going to be signed by our label because you're too tall. You're not signed by our label because you're too this, you're too high pitched, whatever. So he went home and said, I could be purple, I could be blue, I could be whatever. Why don't you like me? Why don't you like me? Yeah. Yeah. And so I heard his story and I now listen to that song every single day. Every day I listen to his song on the tube to work at least once because... He inspires me because he wrote the song and look, it became a number one hit, you know, across the world. I've got, I love it. I've got the back backing track now. 
So people, I think anyone who's got a story and they may not even be very well known, inspires me. Mentors was the other question that you asked, Sorry, asked yeah, me. Sorry, into one bumper. No, I like the question because what I'd like to say to you is that mentees should pick their mentors as carefully as mentors pick their mentees. And okay. in my experience, that doesn't happen. Right. Right. People say, I need a mentor because there's a lot on mentoring. Yeah. And I understand the, I understand the importance of it. But then what I often find is that people then just sort of match a mentor to a mentee. And I always think, well, hang on a second. Not every mentor is the right mentor for that particular individual. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've seen that myself. And I've mm. just thought, I've had mentors given to me without me really being, you know, asking for it. Or people that feel that they can coach me. And um, Can I just say that once? That does annoy me. It winds me up to know. Because I just think, well, hang on a second. I didn't ask for it. And no. also, you know, particularly if it's someone who's mansplaining me or, yeah. you know, interfering. And I just think there, this is always a two-way relationship. And so actually I don't like mentorships and mentoring. That are allocated. That are unallocated. Yeah, and, forced. And, and forced and also where the mentee can't see the value that the mentor might be able to provide them with. And I, and I know that, I'm, I'm preempting the fact that, look, I know that you get value that you don't often think that you would have had. That I understand. Serendipity and all the rest That's of it. That's serendipity, yeah. 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 But the thing is, um, I don't like it when it's forced. And, and I remember being given people. <laughs> and I just remember sitting with them thinking, this is... Uh, I'm just again. I'm I'm trying not to sound like really arrogant and impolite, whatever. But this is no. the biggest waste of my time. No, it's not. <laughs> it's less. Of, it's more uh, like you. You can only the person can only mentor you well if you're ready to listen to them and if you respect them in some the way. Thing and if is, you have it, context on it. It's well. I would say that actually you've got to be ready to listen. So there's a guy called Stephen Eason, who was the managing director of Waitrose at one point, who mentored me. Mm. Um, I asked for him to mentor me. He mentored me for years when I ran my first company and he was incredible. And I learned so much from him. My board right now and my investors are my main, in inverted commas, mentors because mm. I go to them with questions. So, for example, there's um, one of my mentors. He's a really good friend of mine, actually, mm. but I consider him a mentor in this capacity is that I have I had some issues with um, parts of the business model and I went to John Buss, who is now CEO of Yext, I went to Guy Fernando, who's co-founder of yeah, Freeformers. Free yeah. yeah, and Guy and John are both investors in Century. And I went to them. They are my friends, but I went to them specifically with that, no, can you put that hat on of helping me a mentor? Yeah. Because you've done this before. Yeah. And they were incredible. Mm. But what? But I think that that's really important because I also knew what my ask was. Mm. And I was very clear. So I was really willing to sit down and say, right, just sort of feed me with all that knowledge. I want to learn about it. And so the key here is find out the needs of the mentee what is it that they're struggling with and it doesn't have to be a business need it could even be an emotional need it mm. could be um one thing that i think is really important is mindset mm. you know it could be they haven't got confidence in x y and z whatever mm. and then find somebody appropriate to be able to help with that specific need mm. on that journey yeah it's and that journey so that's well. the thing about time. mentors that i think is really important and mm. is not said often enough my final question what's your favorite spice slash which spice do you think is most underrated <laughs> so I bought a pestle and mortar a couple of months ago and I've been looking through recipes and I'm I don't know what you classify spice. as but you need turmeric yeah. has got healing properties so my mum's answer only if you use it with black pepper though no they just you know when I used to cut myself at school my mum so normal kids would have a plaster with or a Disney character no she would just <laughs> rub turmeric all over it didn't that hurt and 
it, no, it doesn't hurt because it is. It doesn't hurt at all. But turmeric is staining. So then yeah. for the next few weeks, I would have like a yellow arm. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd say, Mum, why would you do that? So in terms of the spice that's underrated, I would say turmeric. Really? No, I would say the spice that's underrated is cumin, because if you can't buy proper at strength cumin seeds you can't make a really good curry and one of the reasons why that business was so great and did so well so quickly was because we used to use really strong spices if you went to the local supermarket and just bought and also if you don't roast them properly or if you don't fry them properly you fry them too long so they burn or too little so they don't for example pop or crackle then you're not going to get the flavour out of them. And that's why chicken curry doesn't taste good do when someone doesn't have to do it. Do you fry cumin or you roast cumin? Both. Fry it on there in the curry. And fry, yeah. But then you don't put it in the pestle and mortar after you've done that, do you? No. no so it's you just hot. put them in whole. Yeah. Actually, I could make a curry for you. Next time, we it's can actually, have a curry. I think it's actually quite rude you turned up today without a curry. Just, just saying. I think it's really rude that you're holding a pen. <laughs> <laughs> We're even. <laughs> Thanks very much, Priya. <laughs> Thank Thanks you. for listening. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much I for really having me, Anne-Marie. I loved it. it. And um, apologies for all the giggling in the background. but all we the swearing. Have a good time. No, we like a good giggle. We like to have a laugh. <laughs> Priya Lakhani is using artificial intelligence to give parents and teachers better data on pupils' performance, which they can actually use in between parents' evenings. Also, turmeric is her favourite spice and you should listen to Grace Kelly by Mika every morning like she does. You can follow her on Twitter at Priya Lakhani or on Instagram at prelakhani1. You can check the spelling on that in the episode notes. Find out more about Century Tech by going on Twitter at This Is Century or Instagram Century Tech Learning. All that's left for you to do is subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It would also really help us if you rate and review it too. I and Marie live on Twitter at AMAPHIDON. Good luck spelling that. And on Instagram at NotYourAverageAMI, which is a little bit easier to spell. Get in touch, have a chat, ask questions using the hashtag WomenTechCharge. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.